When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, hello, and welcome to Soccer Made in Portland on OregonLive.com and Stomptown Footy. My name is Chris Reifer, and joining me, as always, the Timbers and Thorns beat writer for the Oregonian and OregonLive.com, Jamie B. Goldberg. Jamie B., what's going on? We have two soccer teams playing soccer. Not super successfully, but, you know, one of them has an excuse. Uh, it is two soccer teams now playing soccer in the city of Portland. Uh, it must feel good. It must feel like we're we're really getting going here. Um, sure. Uh, some sort of soccer that one <laughs> yeah. of those teams was playing uh, to focus on the one that's actually playing they collect- meaningful games. They collectively scored zero goals this weekend. They did. There was, there was so <laughs> And conceded no five. <laughs> yep. But of course, one of them conceded four. Um, right. And I, I'm just hopeful that your trip to New York, I am hoping that you had some opportunities to do some sightseeing and, and make it a real enjoyable experience because I, I'd hate to think that you went there just for the the soccer that was uh, definitely not worth the trip. Yeah. So turns out the game decidedly not a highlight uh, <laughs> of the trip. No, it was it was a great time. Uh, nonetheless, did some things that I'd never done. Uh, I'd always heard, heard the Met was good. Uh, I went to the Met and it was like way, way, way beyond <laughs> good. It was so good um, to the point where, you know, I mean, I, that was yesterday. We're, we're recording here on Tuesday afternoon. I just flew back in. Uh, that was yesterday that, w- that we went to the Met, spent the better part of the day there, and like maybe got through a quarter of it. Like maybe. Um, so it is, yeah. I mean, a, a, if you're ever going to, to New York City, definitely carve out a chunk of time to go to the Met. It is fantastic. I mean, uh, yeah, you you can like name a kind of art that you want to see literally going from like ancient Greek and Roman up to like modern American and you can go see it and you can see stunning examples of it. It's, it's something else. Um, so I, uh, strongly recommend that that was certainly one of the highlights had some, had a great time, uh, hanging out over in Brooklyn, uh, you know, did a lot of the sort of like, you know, got a lot of the, the sort of typical touristy stuff out of the way early, uh, and then some deep dives late. So that was outstanding. Also went to the Timbers Red Bulls game, which was, I mean, it was notable, right? Yeah, it was notable. <laughs> it was a notable game. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, that was, that was a doozy. Uh, but nonetheless, it, so it, it was a great trip, uh, regardless of, of, of the Timbers not showing up. Um, and that's very nice. Uh, so yeah, as we've noted, the Timbers did not show up uh, in, in their game against the Red Bulls. The Red Bulls rolled out uh, a lineup of, Basically, like eight reserves, eight out of eleven reserves, 
uh, or so, and, and you could even make an argument for a little bit more than that. Uh, and and the home team scored four goals to the Timbers zero. Uh, the Timbers, you know, first choice team, basically. A couple absences, to be sure, but, you know, pretty close to a first choice team. Uh, got absolutely pasted by a team almost entirely of reserves. So that's not great. Uh, our predictions, I mean... We both were sort of like, okay, the Timbers are, are, are looking a little haggard, but it's going to be a reserves Red Bulls team. They're going to be able to, to pull out the win. Both of us thought that. You said 2-1. I said 3-2. You said an Audi goal. I said a Valeri goal and assist. Zero points for us. Uh, I don't – but in our defense, I don't think anybody could have seen or like should have foreseen the complete and utter capitulation uh, that the Timbers uh, put forth in, in, in New Jersey. Have I been too harsh? Uh, do you want to make any sort of a point about the points or, or, or about the predictions? Or should we just, you know, move on? Oh, oh no, we deserve zero points. Uh, we did not even remotely come close to predicting uh, what happened there. Here's the thing, though. I That chafes me a little bit because we get the same number of points that the Timbers got from that game. And, and like, in comparison, our performances were light years better <laughs> than the Timbers were, right? So should we give, like, each other, like two points each uh, just to like, just to make sure we're, we're, we're separating ourselves from the, the, the true, truly rancid putrid performance of the Timbers put in. No, we should, we shouldn't <laughs> because we, we make predictions and they actually play soccer. So, so they get some credit for doing something a lot harder than what we do. Hmm. I would like to see some of those guys um, predict, make predictions and, and award random scores to their predictions. Um Everybody always sits back and says, ooh, podcast hosting or co-hosting. It's a piece of cake. Well, try it. It's actually pretty easy. Uh, okay, so let's do, let's get into this a little bit more because uh, I don't think we've entirely gone through the, the thesaurus yet for synonyms for terrible. Uh, was this the worst loss in modern Timbers history? And I'm defining modern as the post-Spencer era. And I'm using that because, I mean, in many ways, the first two years were sort of the fledgling of the MLS club. The Timbers are now, you know, starting in 2013, we're a fully fledged MLS team. There's no sort of like, Hey, they were new expansion team kind of stuff. So starting in 2013, going through now, uh, was that the worst loss, uh, that you've seen from the Timbers? Yeah. I mean, I've been trying to think back to the Caleb Porter era and trying to think if there was a worse loss along the way, there were certainly some bad losses and there were certainly times where the Timbers completely gave up there. There were games when they lost, uh, for, for nothing for one, things like that. Um, generally the games were fairly close overall in, in Caleb's, uh, time as head coach, but I, I, I can't, I, I really can't point to a game that was worse than this. And I, I think the reason for me um, is it, not just that the Timbers fell apart. It's not just that they looked disjointed and, and had a lack of communication and, and lost for nothing and gave up towards the end. Once they conceded that second goal, it, it's that they were playing as a reserve team and there's just no excuse really uh, for the Timbers close to first choice lineup to have that kind of performance against a team that's full of players that is going to be playing the USL probably this year, or, or at least riding the bench um, and just being coming in to the games as uh, substitutes. Yeah. I, I mean, I, you know, that is the big thing you're right. that The Timbers did have some heavy losses to be sure during the Caleb Porter era. Um, but man, when you sort of put together the combination of, you know, reserve, largely reserve opponent, 
no red cards or anything like that. It's not like the Timbers went down a man in the 15th minute or something like that. I mean, that that can certainly sort of just steer you off in a bad direction and it just, you know, never turns back. That happens and and, and will happen. And so, you know, I, I would say this loss was worse than those because, well, there's not that excuse. Um, so, yeah, against a reserve team uh, with a mostly first choice team, it's not like the Timbers were super depleted. Uh, with no red cards or sending offs or, or, or anything like that, I can't think of anything uh, this bad. And frankly, you know, I, I there were less bad moments for the Timbers than than the like fully terrible moments. Um, and they, I mean, I don't know if I would say they 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 controlled the game for stretches, but they were at least competitive in the game for stretches. But like when that's the nicest thing I can say about the Timbers was like the last 15 minutes of the first half were more or less competitive and the Timbers looked like they might have a heartbeat um, against a team that was almost entirely playing reserves. That's pretty faint praise. Uh, and yeah, so I, I'm going to go ahead and say yes, this was... Uh, in my view, the worst loss or the most embarrassing loss uh, in modern Timbers history, at least the the, the post-John Spencer era. Uh, and that is, you know, not a great start. Uh, not, a, not a great start to be at, at six goals allowed to, and, and one goal four through two games, zero points through two games. Uh, and, you know, yeah, so not a great start. Uh, here's a question that's a little bit more specific to an individual. How blameworthy do you think Liam Ridgewell is? Uh, there were a couple instances through the course of the game, primarily, you know, most notably the first and fourth concessions in which Ridgewell's effort was, let's be nice and say pedestrian. Uh, (laughs) how blameworthy do you think he is for sort of the overall badness of the result? And and what do you think will and should be the fallout for for those instances? I I definitely don't think he's the only player to blame here. I, I think we can point to specific moments where it clearly wasn't good enough from him. And I, I will get back to that a little bit. But I there was clearly a lot of other players struggling on the field. I, I mean, Mabiala had turnover after turnover. Marco Farfan has looked overmatched. I, I don't think the defensive midfield ha, has contributed much, as much defensively as they need to. And the attack has overall been quiet or, or not been able to convert the chances, they, the opportunities they have, and they have to put away. I, I mean, there's players throughout this field. It, it's, right now that are struggling and there's no one really that's standing out and you can look to and say, that's the bright spot on the field. Uh, It's really everyone kind of having a subpar performance. So, so there's a lot of players to blame in this game, but Ridgewell is a veteran. Ridgewell is the captain of this team. We've certainly seen what he's capable of defensively and how he can be an asset to this team and the effort he put in and the attitude that he showed on, on those goals was just unacceptable um, f- from the captain of your team. I, I mean, you want to see the guy that's supposed to be the leader of the team at, at the bare minimum, putting in the effort, showing, setting an example for the younger players, setting an example for the other players on the field of this is how you have to perform. This is how you have to act. Even if we're losing two, nothing, three, nothing, four, nothing. And, and he didn't show that. I, I don't know if there'll be any fallout. I, I tried to ask this question to Gio today, uh, just a little bit about when you, look at leadership when you look at that lack of effort how much does that come down to the captain of the team and how much is it their role and he didn't really give me much of an answer there he just kind of 
said vaguely that uh, the club needs to focus on a lot of different areas and a lot of different leaders. And he thinks that the group will improve next week. You know, the basic coach speak uh, that we've been getting a lot of recently. Um, so I don't really have an answer uh, from that, from Gio on what could potentially be the fallout of this. But but I think that's something to look at. When you have your captain not demonstrating the role of a leader on the field and you're having these kind of results, I, that's a switch that you see teams make. They, they change lineups or they change armbands um, and see if that change is enough to kind of uh, spark their team a little bit. Yeah, so you mentioned the coach speak. So if you, if you want to sort of get an idea of the difference between between talking to an interview on Caleb Porter versus talking to an interview on Gio Savarese, Caleb would say something while scowling at you. Gio will say nothing while smiling at you. That's <laughs> hyperbolic, of course, on both ends. Uh, Caleb did not always scowl uh, at you. Gio does not always say nothing. Uh, but you know, I mean, it, it, that's sort of the the, the caricaturized, I, I, I think, uh, version of the experience and and the difference between uh, the the two experiences. Uh, I I agree with you entirely on the blameworthiness of, of Ridgewell. Uh, I mean, look, you know, that first goal. There are other problems. Uh, Zarek Valentin doesn't shut down doesn't shut down the cross. It would have been a hard cross to shut down, but he didn't do it. Uh, both Laris Mabiala and, and and Marco Farfan ball watched like crazy and got caught in no man's land. But I mean, those are mistakes, and you don't want those mistakes to happen. Far too many of them have, have been happening, and that has to play into how Savarese is going about, you know, choosing his lineup and 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 setting up his back line and decisions that the Timbers are going to have to make about who's going to continue to be here and, 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 and who they're going to target target in the next transfer window and those kinds of things. So, you know, I mean, that's all kind of the run of the mill stuff, bad stuff, right? For Ridgewell, I mean, you know, you said unacceptable. I, th- I think that's entirely fair, but it's not a mistake. It's not like he made, you know, a huge mistake on that play. His decision, uh, you know, talking about the first goal, his decision to initially step up, to put pressure on Derek Atien was fine. He was late, which was unfortunate. And, I, you know, I guess you could call that a mistake. But, you know, I mean, it, it was also going to be both a hard one to get to. It was going to be a, a, a very difficult one for the D-mids to track because of where Atien was coming from. It was going to be a difficult one for Ridgewell to get to. And, you know, it's not like the play was over once Atien got that flick on to Carlos Rivas, right? But then from there, it's just... I, I, I like don't even know how to describe it. I, I, clearly, he needs to recover. I mean, Farfan, to his credit, he ball watched when he, when he got there. But to Farfan's credit, he recognized immediately that he needed to slide in to cover left center back uh, for Ridgewell. So you know, good on Marco for recognizing recognizing that. But it's like Ridgewell didn't even think the play was still going. I, like it, it, it's like he didn't even think he needed to get back into slot in to fill that spot, the, the, the hole in the back line. I mean, my goodness. And, the, and then you see him as he's very slowly jogging back. And I mean, very slowly. Like if, if you extended out to a mile, he, he was probably running like a 12 minute mile at that point. Um, he very slowly jogging back. You see him actually look over, see the two runners. Uh, I think it was Rivas and, and, and Ben Mines on the back post. 
Mines was already ahead of him. Rivas was uh, about equal to him. So, I mean, you can question whether he could have done a whole lot at that point. But he sees those two runners on, on the back post. It just does nothing. He just keeps jogging. Keeps keeps putting in that 12-minute mile. I mean, <laughs> you've got to be kidding me. You, you see this very obvious, clear, and present danger. And, like, it's just, eh. I, I, it's, you can't have that on your team. You can't put that guy in your starting lineup. I, I, Liam Ridgewell cannot start against FC Dallas. Cannot happen. You can't show the other guys, the guys that are competing for spots, uh, as Savarese talked about in his press conference today. You can't show all the other guys on your roster that you can go out there, jog around during, during key moments of the game and still get selected week after week. Not a chance. No way. And so, you know, we'll see. What will be the fallout? I, I don't know. What should be the fallout? It should be very clear. He loses his starting spot, and as a result of that, he loses the armband. Because you're not going to give the armband to a guy that's on the bench. That that defeats the entire purpose of it. But he loses his starting spot, and he loses his armband until he demonstrates that he's committed. Until he demonstrates that, that, that he wants to be a part of this, this team this year. Because right now, honestly, you, you look at Ridgewell on the field, and, and that was not the only instance in that game. The folks have pointed out a thing on the fourth goal. Frankly, there, I, I saw other things in sitting there. Amazing view, by the way, from the press box in, in, in New Jersey. <laughs> uh, but, you know, you saw other moments uh, where he just didn't look like he wanted to be there. He looked like he had a bad, bad case of senioritis. And you can't have a captain with senioritis. You can't have a starting center back with senioritis. And so until he shows that he's gotten over that case of senioritis, until he shows that he's interested in being here, he's committed, and that he's going to put in the effort that we expect of every professional in every field, including soccer, then he shouldn't play. And I, I don't know. It, I think it would be a grave error if Gio did anything else. Okay. So this has been a very, do you, do you I, I am not going to make the transition yet because I want you to respond to that. <laughs> do you think that's too harsh? I, I think that given the performance, I think there should be some serious line of changes. And I, I think it's not just Ridgewell. And I think that you, I would not be at all shocked to see Cascante and Bill Tuiloma uh, as the starting center backs yeah. against FC Dallas. I agree. Be because Mabiola hasn't a, a He's ritual been a, a, a disaster, a dumpster yeah. fire. <laughs> I mean, Mabiola looks like he it might be trying, right. but just <laughs> has forgotten how to play soccer or something. <laughs> <laughs> but Ridgewell looked like he gave absolutely no effort. And yeah, I, I do think there should be consequences for that, especially with a new coach coming in. I don't think it's a good look to show, oh, I have already these were the players that were here before and I'm just going to stick with them. And, and he clearly showed in other positions, he's willing to make changes. He made four significant changes, including benching Audi uh, for that game. And, and if he's willing to bench Audi, he should be willing to bench Liam Ridgewell. And I think, and I go to go as far as this would be my prediction, whether or not it will happen. It will see, but I think that Cascante and Tuiloma are going to start that FC Dallas game. And he's going to try to see if maybe this is the the thing they need to spark the team a little bit, makes a significant change like that on the back line and show, hey, if, if you're not performing, we're not going to just let you keep going out there and doing the same thing. I'm going to make serious changes. So I think we'll potentially see that. Um, I think that's probably the right response. Um, but it, it's not like, like we said, 
that Geo has given all that much away. Uh, so these are just kind of predictions that we are looking at it and thinking that might be plausible at this point. You know, how do you, for example, how do you look Christian Paredes in, in the eye and explain to him why after a, I think, okay, solid uh, MLS debut in LA where he was, I think, unquestionably committed, uh, wasn't perfect by any means and, and, and had some things that he could have done better, but also did some things fairly well. How do you explain to him why he should get the hook in, in, in favor of Lawrence Olam, who's not looked good, and then say, well, but Liam's going to stick in after, you know, a, a, you know, a disastrous, embarrassing, unacceptable, unprofessional uh, outing in New York. I, I just, I mean, he, he, the, the whole point is you're trying to incentivize these largely kids because they've brought in a, long, a lot of young players to go out and compete. And, and, and you're telling Julio Cascante, you're telling Bill Tuiloma, hey, if, if you get in here and you compete, you can win a job. How do you tell those guys that if Ridgewell stays in the lineup and, and guys like Paredes are getting yanked after, you know, I mean, for reasons that aren't entirely clear? Uh, maybe it was something tactical and maybe that, 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 that was explained. I asked him after the game. He didn't indicate that it was. Uh, I, I just don't know. And I think it would be a major, major, major mistake. And it would send a terrible message to everybody on the team who they're trying to convey that this is a competition for. Uh, if Ridgewell is in that lineup in Dallas in, in two weeks, you know, they've got some time now to sort it out. They've got some time uh, now to, to, to plan for that game. Uh, I just don't know how they could, they, they could keep that, frankly, those guys as engaged as they need to be uh, if Liam's going to get a free pass. Okay. Now we're transitioning because this has been a, I think, a low-key show so far. Um, we've been very restrained. I've been, I've been extremely restrained uh, in, in, in my takes. And so I think we need to turn the, the heat up a little bit. And that means it's time for the hot take segment to be named later. Jamie Goldberg, you're leading us off. Um, I'll go with NWSL news uh, for this one. I, I think uh, anyone who's been following the NWSL, I think will have seen by now that Christian Press has not reported to Houston Dash preseason training camp. And in fact, league officials told the Dash this week that Press would not be reporting. Uh, so after a blockbuster trade, uh, the biggest trade probably in NWSL history where um, Press uh, Sam Kerr and Carly Lloyd were all involved in it, and Houston specifically traded away Carly Lloyd in, in hopes of getting Christian Press uh, back. Uh, it, it turns out that Press isn't going to end up ever, most likely, uh, unless something changes, ever play a game for Houston. And I think this is just a debacle for the NWSL. I Obviously, you see it throughout soccer, you see it in sports, the players will try to not come to preseason camp. They will try to force a trade. This happens in professional athletics. Um, it's something I think anyone who follows pro pro sports is used to, but the way this went down and the given how high profile press is for this league, it, it's just something that the NWSL uh, is not a good look for them, especially coming off an already difficult off season uh, where they dealt with the Boston breakers folding it and another uh, club in Kansas city, I'm going under to be replaced by Utah. 
So <laughs> for an already difficult offseason, another bad moment for the NWSL. I'm just shocked that Houston didn't do more research into this ahead of time. I, I, I think Chicago's pushed back on the idea that they misled Houston in any way. But it, but it appears that Dash didn't try contacting Press's representatives or contacting her personally or seeing if they could get a permission to do that. And, and they had apparently no idea going into this that Press was not interested in going to Houston, even though uh, apparently the national team players have their preferred destinations listed and, and have that's something they have. And that Houston was not one of uh, Press's preferred destinations. So... I don't know what the management in Houston was doing to allow this to happen. I think they are probably the ones that are most to blame since they were making the trade. But this has now turned into, I think, a debacle for the NWSL and, and just a terrible look for the league right before the start of the season. I think it's worse for Houston and much, much worse for Houston than NWSL. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's... Yeah, I mean, you, you, it's it's never a great thing when players hold out. It's never a great thing when players don't report to camp. Lee Wynn just did it with the the New England Revolution. He ultimately ended up coming to camp. Um, so you know, I mean that that's that's never you know a good look for anybody, frankly. But it's also something that happens, right? Uh, it, it's also something that happens when a, a particular player, for reasons that may be completely valid and completely understandable doesn't want to play in a, in a, in a particular uh, city or for a particular team. Um, so I, I guess I don't know if I, if I necessarily ascribe that much of it to NWSL. I think this is just shocking, frankly, for the, for the dash. Uh, I don't know how you go through with that trade. I don't know how you make that deal without having contact with press beforehand. And sort of making sure that, that, that she is willing and happy to come uh, join up with the Dash. I mean, this is something that routinely happens, routinely happens in trade negotiations. That as part of the negotiations, the teams will, will give each other permission essentially to talk to the players to make sure, uh, especially when you're dealing with a major player like Kristen Press is under any imaginable definition of the word, to make sure that, that that she's okay with the deal and, and that she's willing to, to to come and join the dash because otherwise why in the world would the dash do that? Yeah. And like, I mean, so it's, it's malpractice of just like the hardest to imagine extent that apparently that due diligence just wasn't done or worse. They did it and then just ignored it. Like, yeah. So, uh, you know, like, like maybe if this went South, there would be some sort of make good from the NWSL. There no, should not be a make good from the NWSL. This is on the dash. This is entirely their mismanagement, and, and they should have to, you know, reap their just desserts uh, as a result of it. So, you know, for me, it, it, it is much, 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 much more about the dash uh, and about a, a manifestly struggling franchise. Uh, that's a little bit of an overstatement. But in any event, a struggling franchise, I think, is not an overstatement that is now only further shooting itself in the foot and could potentially as a result of this become a manifestly struggling franchise. So we'll see. Uh, We'll see how this ultimately plays out. We're going to talk a bit more about this sort of at the back end in the thorn section uh, and and some additional reporting that happened today. But in any event, uh, yeah, that is, yeah, sorry, go ahead. 
I do want to say that in terms of the league wide side and yes, I, I do agree that the dash are <laughs> predominantly to blame from a league wide side though. You're not, you're potentially not going to have Christian press playing in the league this year, which is just a massive disappointment. And I think overall it's a bad look for the league in that a professional team with a good general manager in a good league should have be able to negotiate a trade and know how to handle this a bit better. I, I mean, I just think by Houston looking bad in this and just the ineptness, uh, like how inept they were in, in this trade. I, I think as a result, that kind of sheds a bad light on the league overall. Um, but the big thing is obviously that Christian press they're potentially losing the star power of Christian press this year, because she might have to sit out the season or go to Sweden because she doesn't want to play in Houston. I definitely agree on both, on both of those points that to the extent it's sort of a, a bad for the league, it's it's in the loss of a really, really good and really exciting player. Uh, and you know, ineptitude of one franchise doesn't exactly reflect well, uh, on everybody else. Um, okay. I have a positive one. I'm going to say something nice. <laughs> this has been kind of a, kind of a, yeah, no kidding. Right. Uh, so, uh, MLS and Liga MX today announced a partnership that, uh, that has two sort of primary pillars, one that is imminent the other that is somewhat less defined, but in the future. The first is a uh, sort of a, a competition between the champions of Liga MX and MLS from the previous year that'll be upcoming uh, this September. Oh, that'll be Toronto FC versus an as-yet-determined uh, Liga MX team. Uh, but nonetheless, it'll be sort of a, a directly, you know, our, you know, MLS's champion, our champion versus the Liga MX's champion. I think that's cool. I think there are sort of more, you know, nitty gritty details about that that need to be figured out, uh, like scheduling and how we make sure that both of the teams are taking it seriously. But nonetheless, I, you know, if for me, the question is, would I watch that? The answer is you betcha. I would absolutely watch that. I am super interested basically every year. I think, and the answer to this has basically been the same every year, but basically every year I think, man, wouldn't it be fun to watch the MLS champion take on the, the Liga MX champion? My answer is always yes. Then I'm like, who do you think would win? And then I'm like, the Liga MX champion. But that's something that, that I think there's a credible case could be cha- the, could be sort of starting to change. And don't infer that I'm saying it has changed or that it is changing immediately. Uh, but could be starting to change. And, and and so, you know, would I watch this with interest every year? You bet. The part that's a little bit less defined, but that I'm even more excited about, because I think this just like breaks the scale of fun, is there is talk about an MLS Liga MX All-Star game, but that essentially the All-Star game for the leagues would be aligned and the, the two leagues All-Stars would play each other. Yes, 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 please take my money now is basically my response to that. I, I, I don't love the sort of European team friendly format. I don't think anybody really cares. I, I, I think it's a, it's a total sideshow. Uh, and I, yeah, don't find it compelling. Frankly, I don't watch it a lot. <laughs> it's one of those things where I will watch it if I have nothing else going on. If I have something else going on, eh, whatevs, not a big deal. MLS versus Liga MX All-Star Game appointment viewing people. That is something that I would absolutely plan to watch just because I, I do think there would be a little bit more in the game because there there is sort of the natural rivalry between the leagues. A rivalry, by the way, that 
is obvious on both sides when, for example, MLS teams go 3-0 and uh, against, uh, against Liga MX sides, and there are huge headlines in Mexican papers just talking about what an embarrassment it is. There's a clear rivalry between the leagues, between the two major leagues in North America, and that's something that we should stoke because rivalry is fun. Rivalry is great, and I think rivalry can sort of help add some juice to both leagues. So I love this. I, I, I think this is an outstanding concept. There are things in how they pull it off that still need to be worked out and, and, that, and that I think could be even be improved. But nonetheless, the idea of this partnership, the idea of these two leagues coming together to, to make this rivalry sort of an active thing throughout years in many different ways from CONCACAF Champions League to an All-Star game to sort of a Champions Cup or whatever they're going to call it, I think is the bee's knees and I'm stoked. Jamie? Yeah, I, I agree. I think that anyone who follows Major League Soccer um, on a regular basis is, always likes the idea of comparing where MLS is at to League MX. And so being able to see that in, in a concrete example, not just CONCACAF Champions League, which has a lot of um, with the schedule and everything has been kind of one that it's hard to put too much weight into all the time, although clearly league MX has dominated in that. Um, but it's nice to see more and more of this MLS versus league MX. I, I think the other thing that's interesting to point out is I, I think it's a smart marketing idea from major league soccer standpoint. I, I believe that league MX is still the most watched league in the United States. Um, it has a huge fan base here in terms of TV ratings. Uh, the TV ratings are quite good for League MX. So there, if, if there's a way for MLS to try to bring in more fans within the United States to their league who might be more inclined to follow League MX right now than MLS, that's a, that's just a smart business move. So uh, I think there's a lot of upsides from this. I think it makes a lot of sense for MLS, and I agree. It, it's going to be some fun games to watch. I, you know, and I think you make a really good point the, and, and one that I will make explicit now. And that is that MLS broadly has not done a great job uh, of connecting with the Mexican American population. Um, and you, you see that in sort of poor ratings uh, on, on some of uh, MLS's Spanish language uh, broadcasting. You see that in the way of Liga MX absolutely dominating uh, MLS. And, and so I think that is something that need, that could and needs to be improved from MLS's perspective broadly. Will this do that? It's hard to say. I mean, you know, there have been things that we thought would absolutely do it before that haven't done it. But this definitely seems to be and sort of stoking that rivalry and, and, and making the leagues relevant to each other, because frankly, it would make me more interested in Liga and Liga MX. I follow, I, you know, I sort of casually follow to know what's going on in Liga MX, but it's not like that's something that, that I'm, you know, adding again to my weekly sort of appointment viewing list of making sure that I get uh, some Liga MX time in every week. And would it make me more inclined to do that? Yeah, you betcha. Uh, that's something that I would absolutely be interested in doing because I want to see who are the teams that, that we're going to see in, in, in this year's sort of uh, various installments and who are the players we're going to see in this year's various install installments of, uh, of these games be between the leagues, these interleague games uh, to, you know, borrow a term somewhat from baseball. So uh, I'm, 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 yeah, very excited. I think it could be good for MLS uh, in broadening its appeal. I think it could be good for Liga MX in broadening its appeal. 
Uh, and I think it could just be downright a lot of fun, which is the entire point of sports. Okay, we got some Timbers questions. Lyle wants to know. So, is it time for the 442? Jamie? I don't know if the 442 is the answer here. I, I don't know if it's not. I I think Geo should look at everything at this point. I mean, I Armenteros played, Audi played. I didn't think either of them showed something particularly special. I mean, neither of them were able to score. Armenteros missed a really good opportunity. Um, you could try to get them both on the field in a 442. Uh, it's not like Andy Polo on the wing was necessary to have out there after his performance in game one. But the, the problem is right now, players are individually, there's not a ton of players that are individually showing all, all that much. So it, even predicting a starting lineup right now is hard, let alone formation. Um, I think one thing the Timbers do need to look at is a way to find uh, give Valeri on the ball in better spots. I think he's getting the ball way too deep. He, he's not getting the ball in the spots where he can be dangerous. And that's something where you have to look at your formation because you don't want to put Valeri in a formation where, where he has less of a chance to, to get on the ball in dangerous spots. You definitely want him uh, to start contributing this attack. Um, you also know that Diego Chara um, will be coming back in. Hopefully that game will be the Dallas game he comes back in. Maybe you stick with the same formation with Chara coming back in, make some changes to the back line and make some decisions in the attack and see if that's enough to, to kind of change things. Um, I don't know if the four, four, two is an answer. I, I do think it's something Sarvarasi will consider, uh, but given what I've seen so far, it's not, I'm not looking at that formation change and saying, yes, that that's what needs to happen for this team to get a result. I, so, you know, I mean, it, on, on one hand, I think it could be time to try something like a, a, a diamond four, four, two, because I do think if you put Valeria at the point of a diamond and, and get him some help in transition centrally, uh, which the diamond four, four, two would do by pulling another player sort of into that central midfield. Uh, I, I do think that could get him the ball in some, in some better positions. And I think that's something, uh, that notwithstanding the, the, the sort of lack of width, uh, that you can get from that without your your fullbacks bombing on. And I, I don't know if the Timbers are in any spot to be really bombing their fullbacks aggressively right now, which could be the downside to that. But nonetheless, you know, if you're wanting to design a system that would that would help Valeri get the ball in more advanced spots, I think the a narrow diamond would make a decent amount of sense uh, in, in that regard. That said, I lean more toward your perspective, where I, I think, frankly, the Timbers problems are a lot deeper right now uh than than, than whether they're running out of 4231 a 442 uh or you know whatever else you, you want to do I, I i think the the timbers problems are pretty much across the board and and you know go from a a just lack of connectivity uh, a lack of sort of sort of collective understanding of each other and of how savarese wants them to play uh together with frankly a lack of effort uh, and a lack of buy-in uh, from some guys. And so, you know, I, I think if regardless of the formation, you improve those two things, those are the things that would go a long way toward getting the Timbers back into at least competitiveness. Uh, and then, you know, I mean, whether you elect one system or another uh, or, or, you know, roll out one formation or another in a particular game, because there is, you know, I mean, there are tactics and then there's formation. Uh, they're not, they, they are not ipso facto the same thing. 
but you know, I mean, if there's a greater understanding uh, and, and collective buy-in tactically, I, I think uh, that is uh, going to be the bigger challenge over the course of the next couple of weeks than, you know, exactly how Savarese writes them down on a piece of paper. Matt wants to know, will the Timbers win any games in their opening five game stretch? Not if they keep playing like they have been. Uh, I don't know at this point. I, I think this FC Dallas game is a big one for them. They have two weeks right now to regroup. It, it gives them a chance to hit the practice field, work on some things that are not coming together. It gives Savarese the chance if he wants to make some significant changes and hopefully motivate his group uh, to, to put in the effort a little bit more. Um, but that's going to be a tough match. Um, I, I, I don't know at this point if they're going to win any games in this uh, five-game stretch. I, I was thinking back to, to whatever we predicted, uh, six, seven points in the first five, and that sounds incredible at this point. One point in, in the first five uh, sounds like something. Uh, after these first two games, I, I, I think a lot has to change and, and they have to be able to shift. They're going to have some tough games. It was always going to be a tough stretch. None of these games were going to be give me the closest to that was going to be this New York game because of the, the lineup changes on New York side. So it's going to be tough for them. They could potentially pull something out if they can figure out what figure out how to implement Savarese style effectively, figure out what they need to put in the effort and start getting performances out of individual players. Uh, but there's nothing we've seen yet that, that makes me feel confident to say, absolutely, they're going to turn it around in this five-game stretch and we're going to see a win or, or a few draws or some points uh, in, in the next three games. I'm going to go ahead and say no. No is my answer. Um, I don't see much reason, frankly, to have a lot of faith uh, that this team can go on the road and get a result. This New York game was the easiest uh, of this five-game stretch uh, in light of the the lineup that the Red Bulls rolled out. Uh, and I have not seen anything or heard anything from from the Timbers uh, or, or, or from Savarese to suggest to me that they are ready to go out uh, and, and get points on the road uh, in any of these five games. So I'm just going to go ahead and, and sort of start uh, you know, sort of lay down the flag uh, of saying, I think when the Timbers come back home uh, on April 19th or whatever the day is, uh, I think they will have zero points. Okay, again, not super cheery from either of us on that one. Uh, let's go to John. John wants to know, what is Andy Polo's upside and what should the Timbers want from him and why haven't we seen it yet? Jamie? I mean, we, we've only seen one game out of Andy Polo in, I mean, we've seen him in preseason as well, but only one regular MLS regular season game so far. I, I think he de- he deserves some time to, to integrate to this team and see if he can do what the Timbers want out of him. I, I think what they like about him is his pace. Uh, they've talked about his ability to be more involved in the attack uh, than maybe Nagby was, his ability to actually score goals, contribute assists, cause problems. Um, have more of a nose for goal overall than, than Nagby was in that position. Uh, obviously, Nagby offered some different things. I, I think that's what they like out in him. It's not necessarily what we've seen out of him. It wasn't like he was a prolific goal scorer uh, previously, but but the Timbers, I think, believe that he has an upside and is capable uh, of being a guy that's going to contribute um, more uh, on the scoreboard over time as he develops with the team. I, we'll see if that ends up being the case. He, he has a decent pedigree in terms of the teams he's played for, what he's done so far. 
Um, he hasn't did not show much in that LA game, but a lot of international players, especially young players, especially players that don't speak English, take some time to adjust to MLS. So I, I do think he deserves a little bit of leeway at this point to see if he can develop into the players that the Timbers think he can be. Yeah. I mean, for me, if you want sort of the MLS analog that I think the, you know, the Timbers would like him to be, I think they'd like him to be sort of a Michael Barrios type, uh, a guy who uh, uses his pace very effectively, but also has the ability to combine and make some plays uh, and, and, and to go in and, and score some goals um, and, and to do it all from the wing. I don't, think we've seen him get anywhere near uh, that kind of that kind of form and that kind of effectiveness uh, over the course of uh, of preseason and, and his one appearance against the galaxy. But I mean, my goodness, that uh, he just got here. Uh, so, you know, I mean, uh, why haven't we seen it yet? It could either be that he's not going to be that good uh, or it could be that he's just taking time to to adjust to MLS, to adjust to the tempers and to get integrated. And you know, I mean, I, I don't think it would be super fair uh, to to jump hard on either of those ships uh, at, at this point. Charles wants to know, how long is it polite to wait before we start to criticize Savarese? What do you think, Jamie? How long is it polite to wait? <laughs> um, I, I think it's perfectly fair to start criticizing Savarese at this point, given that, as we said earlier in the podcast, that wasn't just a bad loss from the Timbers. That might be their worst loss uh, in the post-Spencer era. I think it's totally fair to be critical of him at this point and start questioning whether he's the right coach for this team. At the same time, I don't think it's fair to completely give up on him at this point either. I think he deserves a chance to make it through this five-game stretch, deserves a chance to, to lead this team for a few games at home, see if being at home changes anything uh, for this club, and see where we're at You know, eight, ten games into the season uh, before you start having the harsher criticism and, and wondering if this is uh, this coach is just not going to work out for the team. Um, so I don't think we're anywhere near at that point yet. And a lot could change in the next eight uh, games. Uh, but yeah, I, I think after that performance, it's fair to fair to ask some questions and fair to be a little bit critical. Yeah. Criticism, if it's reasonable and thoughtful and sort of put in sensible context is always fair. How long is it polite to wait? There is no waiting period. But you have to put it in that context, and, and you're and you're completely right to put it in the, in the context of, hey, look, he just got here. He just had his second game in charge of the team, uh, second regular season game in charge of the team. He needs to have uh, to be able to have the leash to have uh, a bit of, a bit of time, a significant bit of time, frankly, uh, in which to figure out the team, get the team uh, sort sort of able to figure him out, to understand what he wants, and, and and to train them into getting to execute that. And so, you know, I mean, is it a matter of, you know, geo out? I mean, geo out is ridiculous at this point. Even as terrible as the Timbers have looked, it's ridiculous at this point. Uh, but, you know, I mean, does that mean that that you can't start to question his tactics, the way he's he he he's setting up the team, uh, his substitute his substitution uh, choices, the way he's sort of going about selling uh, selling what he's what he's trying to 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 change the, with the team. No, I mean those are all reasonable things to to point out. You just have to make sure you're not sort of saying that. You know, I mean, not saying 
sort of ridiculous things beyond that, uh, saying, oh, he's definitely a bad coach. No, I frankly, he hasn't had an opportunity uh, to demonstrate whether he's a good coach or a bad coach. I think you can find evidence to both sides. Some of the coaching that he did in games in Tucson was very good. Uh, but you know, I mean, if you're going to draw the hard and fast conclusion as to whether Savarese is, is a good coach or a bad coach based on what he's done at the Timbers, I don't think you can do it. And I don't think it would be fair to do it. Uh, so, you know, I mean, when, when you want to start criticizing, you can criticize anytime you want. It's just a matter of whether that criticism is reasonable and your particular criticism is reasonable. Dave wants to know in light of all the Ridge, Ridgewell brouhaha, who else do you name captain? Is Eric Valentin a legitimate option? No, uh, I do not think of Valentin as a legitimate option. I don't think he has fully necessarily earned that uh, right back spot to the point we're gonna we're sure that we're gonna continue seeing him on the field. I think you want a guy that's well. Well, Zarek has some leadership qualities. I, I think you want a, a player that you know is one of your most important players. It is both a leader, but also someone that you can expect to be on the field week in and week out. And I don't think Valentin is really at that point that we know that uh, for sure. Um, even though I, I think he probably does provide some leadership qualities in the locker room um, behind the scenes for the for this team. Um, my captains, if it's not Ridgewall, are either Valeri or Chara. I, I think those are the obvious choices. Yeah, and I think the the other guy with the last name that starts with V is is the obvious choice. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think I think frankly that is the choice. I, I think Diego Valeri should come out against Dallas. Uh, wearing the armband, hopefully with Diego Chara not far behind him, uh, coming out for in, in the starting lineup. Um, and with Liam Ridgewell walking out with the rest of the subs. Um, okay, let's hit some thorns. We did have some thorns things happen. Uh, most notably, they played a game. They played a game against the Chicago Red Stars. The Red Stars got a second half goal on the way to a 1-0 uh, uh, result. I was not in town for it, so Jamie Goldberg, I'm going to be relying on you here uh, fair to say, though, very, very mixed lineups from both of these teams. A lot of national teamers were still out for both sides or were very limited. Uh, what were your sort of takeaways from watching uh, from watching the game beyond that it was just good uh, for players to get 45 to, you know, 80-ish minutes of fitness in? Or was that just the takeaway that, hey, yeah, I mean, players got 45 to 80 minutes of fitness in and, and, and everybody lived to see another day? Yeah, I mean, that was the general takeaway for me. I, I think it was a little bit of a tale of two halves and, and the Thorns were better in the first half, Chicago in the second. And I... I just don't think it's fair to take too much away from the first preseason game, especially since we know that the Thorns are going to ha- look a lot closer to their starting lineup on Saturday. That's what Mark Parsons has said. And he hopes maybe the national teamers will get some minutes on, on Wednesday, but they're gearing up for that Saturday game. And, and so that's the game I'm kind of pointing to right now and saying, let's look at what happens there. Because if, if we have questions about certain places in the lineup, I, I think given that some of the players from Australia are not going to be back at the opening of the season. I, I think a lot is going to be answered in that Saturday game, at least what Mark Parsons is planning uh, in terms of what his team should look like on opening day. I'm also going to put you on the spot. I'm going to vary from the mental notes uh, and just ask for a quick Tobin Heath update uh, when we can expect to see her back with the team, Jamie. Um, she is with the team. So that is, or, or, a good or update. I should have been more specific yes. on the field. With the um, team. <laughs> and I will have a better update on that on Thursday. The Thorns have open practice then. So that is when I am going to be speaking to Mark Parsons. Okay. So, but yes, she is back with the team in the larger sense uh, that she's back in Portland, that she's back sort of uh, in, in the last stage of her recovery with the Thorns medical staff, but uh, doesn't is not yet 
uh, sort of in playing uh, or, or even full training. Is, am I right on that, that she's not yet in full training uh, form? Because of the open practices versus not, I'll know a lot more Thursday because the, the practices are closed with the games this week until Thursday. Okay. So we'll know on Thursday. Uh, as for the other stuff, we'll know on Saturday. And that's uh, that's the answer you get uh, as to those issues. We do have a question that came in from both EK and Paul, though. Uh, wants to know, uh, in, in light of the Kristen Press situation, it's been reported that the Thorns are on Press's list of preferred destinations. How likely is it, do you think, that the Press ultimately ends up in Portland? Maybe 25, 30%. I don't think it's all that likely because I don't think the thorns are willing to give up enough to get press. They absolutely will not be dealing any of their U S women's national team players. Um, that's what I've heard. And I am sure even beyond that, that they, uh, wouldn't deal Christine Sinclair and really wouldn't look to deal many of their starters. They, I don't think they want to break up this core, especially after winning a championship. And if that's what they're going to have to do to get Christian press, I don't think this team's going to be willing to do it. Um, I would actually be shocked to see a, a key starting player that has been part of the core that helped them win a championship, uh, be a player that the thorns look to deal, uh, for press. And so I just don't think they're going to give up enough. I think there's a chance that Houston, gets desperate and decides that they do need some pieces and are going to do what they can uh, make the most of that they can out of this trade, because it doesn't sound like to this point, they've gotten any offers that kind of live up to what they expect press to be worth. Um, it's also a chance that Houston just says, we'll let her go to Sweden and keep her rights. Uh, we don't need anything that desperately and we don't want her to play against us um, and just give her away essentially for what we consider free. Um, or, or for players we just don't feel like is up to what she should be worth. So I don't know how desperate of a situation Houston is in, but I don't think the Thorns, unless Houston felt like they were desperate, are going to offer enough to get her. What is so if you, you know, let's put your Gavin Wilkinson, Mark Parsons hat on. What kind of package would you offer Houston to try to entice them? I, I mean, what are the pieces that, that that you would say, okay, here's what we're willing to put on the table, you know, take it or leave it. Uh, but this is what you can get from us. I just, I don't see them. Offering. I mean, what, what, would it be, would, would somebody like Haley Rosso be in there? Maybe, maybe they say Haley Rosso. I don't think anyone that's more significant than that would be in there. Um, yeah. and even that would be a lot. Um, I, I could see them offering just a handful of different players. Here's the girls we drafted from Boston. Here's the draft picks we got that we think are going to have a good upside here is maybe Haley Rosso's a nugget in this trade with multiple players that are really on the fringe of our roster. But even from a salary cap standpoint, I don't know if even if Houston wanted to do something like that, that would make a lot of sense because Christian press is not in the salary cap. So if if they're not getting an allocated player back, so if they're not getting a U.S. women's national team player or uh, Christine Sinclair back from the thorns, I don't even know if it makes sense for Houston in their salary cap. So even if they, even if maybe Rosso was a good enough trade for them, I, I just don't know if they could do it. So, yeah, I think all of that complicates the Thorns' ability to do this, um, and particularly since we know they're not going to give up any U.S. women's national team players. And, yeah, I, maybe Rosso. But they, I don't think that would be shocking, but I don't see them giving up Emily Menges. Uh, right. I don't see them breaking that up, even though she is a player that's not a U.S. women's national team player. Um, maybe they'd give up someone like Catherine Reynolds, 
but right or like or like Midge Purse, Sandra Yu, and yeah. and the first round draft pick next year or something like it's, that. But you know, I mean, it, it's just like could you see any circumstance under which that kind of uh, that kind of a, a package would tempt Houston enough? And I don't know. I mean, you would have to think there would be somebody else in 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 the league that Press is willing to pay to play for, or that Houston would do exactly as you said and essentially say, forget it, she can go to Sweden uh, rather than that. I, I think you're probably about right. 25 to 30% uh, that maybe either the Thorns decide, you know, to, to part with a painful player like, like a, a Haley Rasa would be in, in order to get to get pressed. Because look, I mean, press does fit not only within something that would help the Thorns this year, but would be a, a huge upgrade, would allow them to drop sink a little bit deeper uh, where she's been more effective in the last couple of years for the Thorns. Uh, and so, you know, I mean, you can chart out ways in which adding press would make a a decent amount of sense on the soccer field for the thorns. But the question is, are you subtracting more than, than, than sort of that, that incremental improvement? And, and that's the danger. So yeah, 25, 30% that the thorns are, are willing to raise their, their, you know, offer beyond the kinds of deals that we're talking about. Uh, or on the other hand, that, that the dash would, would ultimately end up taking that. So the, I, I agree with you. I think that number is pretty solid. The other thing that they could offer, although again, I don't think this would necessarily be that desirable, the dash, but they could offer Caitlin Ford and say, yeah, she's not going to really play this year, but here's a really good chip for next year. And now we have, do you think, do you think they would though? Maybe. I, you know, I, I and that's, my, that's my question is, is, you know, Ford is a 23 year old outstanding sort of quality player presses a 29 year old. Uh, going to turn 30 at the end of the year, you know, outstanding player to, to be sure. Um, but whether that's something that, that would make sense from the Thorns perspective in the medium and long term, make a ton of sense in the short term, but medium and long term, I, I, I doubt they would be willing to, to sacrifice yeah. that. Yeah, maybe they wouldn't. Um, I think something like that might be a little bit more desirable for Houston, even though they wouldn't, she wouldn't be featuring this season, um, but they could maybe legitimize a trade like that more. But yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, if they want to build to the future and they don't feel like they need someone, I, I think the only way the Thorns would do that is if they are looking at what they have right now and saying, man, without Caitlin Ford here, we just don't have the attack that we need to be successful now. We have to make a trade to get an attacker, and here's our option. Um, but yeah, from a, from a long-term perspective, that wouldn't make much sense. I agree. I agree entirely. Okay, so yes, there are thorns. Uh, the thorns take on the U23s, uh, the the national team U23s on Wednesday, if my memory is not failing me. That is Pi Day, by the way, uh, the day in which you may be actually also listening to this podcast. That is, uh, again, up at Merlot. And then Saturday, uh, they are going to be back in, in action, and we will expect to see a little bit closer to a sort of first choice 11 for Mark Parsons and the Thorns. Okay, we have no games to predict because the Timbers don't play. Uh, Thorns are in preseason, uh, so we got nothing uh, in, in, in that regard. I actually don't have the stuff for the fantasy update up uh, right now, so we're going to have to hold off on that until next weekend. I just got off a plane, guys. Come on, I, you know, give me a break. Although, in fairness, I am usually barely more put together than this. So, you know, it is what it is. But thank you all for sending in your questions, as always, and for tuning in. Uh, on the other side of the internet for me, that is Jamie Goldberg. I am Chris Reifer. Collectively, we are Soccer Man Portland. Uh, you can find us every week on OregonLive.com and Stumptown Footy. You can subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. Keep the questions coming. Keep the Soccer Man Portland Fantasy League-ing coming. Uh, enjoy the Thorns preseason tournament uh, and the Timbers not losing this week. And we'll be back here next week to talk about all of that and more. Until then, as always, take care. <laughs>